just how horrible being in the trenches must have been during the First World War. But imagine all that. Bombs, bullets, poison gas, mud, barbed wire, and lights as well. And I'm not talking happy little headlights. We all got those from time to time. I'm talking body lice. The biting, itching, scratching, blood-sucking, disease-carrying lice. Now, the thing is, when you went to the trenches, you didn't get a chance to change. You couldn't pop off to the shower. Sorry, Sarge, I just need a wash. I'll be back in a minute. You had to stay there in your uniform for days, maybe weeks at a time. And the thing is, you got body lice. If the guy beside you had been in the trenches a little bit longer than you, he had body lice, and he just passed them straight to you. You couldn't avoid it. It kind of came with the territory. If you're in the tent trenches long enough, you had body lice. All the time. Now, the average was about 20. Most British soldiers in the trenches in France had about 20 body lice on them. You just couldn't avoid it. But if the average was 20, does anyone know what the record was for mice? Because one day, when there was not much going on, a group of mates sat around and they counted every single lapse they found on one of their friends. So how many do you think they found? Any ideas? Hands up. Who? Yes. A hundred. So the average, that's five times more. Any advance on a hundred? Two hundred. Can you imagine what that must have been? Two. Any advance in two? I'm not saying there were two hundred. Does anyone think there could have been more? Two hundred fifty. Two hundred fifty, maybe. Three um, hundred. possibly more. I don't know. Five thousand. <laughs> well, do you know what even a thousand looks like? Can anyone sort of picture a thousand in their mind? Can I borrow you for a moment? Because, um, very cleverly, I've drawn what a thousand looks like. If you could just stand up here for me. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what a thousand looks like. Could you hold that for me? That is a thousand. 
Um, if you're interested, it's 40 across and 25 down. But um, actually, if you're going to be a well-worn other soldier, possibly you should wear that. Does that look right? Yeah. Does that look World War One-ish? Yeah. That's good. Um, well, here's the thing, though. This is a, called the Brogy helmet, and everyone thinks this looks World War One-ish. Yeah. World War One went from 1914 to 1918. Do you agree on this? The Brogy helmet only came into general issue in the summer of 1916. Some people wore them, some soldiers wore them on special raids and things beforehand, but they weren't issued generally until halfway through the war. For the first two years of the war, the men in the trenches wore... that. Facing the bombs and the bullets and the machine guns. Right, um, so here we are with a thousand likes. Does anyone think you could have more than a thousand. Really? Okay, come on, that's good. We'll test this theory. If you could stand there for me. Right, there's a thousand. That's two thousand. Does any... The average was twenty. Okay, does anyone think you could have more than two? Okay, that's good. Right, that's 3,000. Anyone think you can have more than 3,000? Okay, out you go. That's 4,000. Does any... The average was 20. <laughs> right, 4,000. Yeah, that's 4,000. Okay, out you There's 5,000, any advance on 5,000 lice? Okay, let's go. That's, hang on one second. One, two, three, six thousand lice. Seriously? Okay, let's go. That's 7,000 lice. Any advance on 7,000? Oh, come on, surely there's going to be a weight issue. 7,000! <laughs> uh, okay, that's 8,000 lice. Any advance on. <clears throat> okay, that's good. You guys are going to have to bunch up a little bit. You just squeeze up. That's 9,000 lice. Does anyone actually think realistically there could be 10,000 lice on this soldier or thing? Okay, at the back, come on. Oh, dearie me. One more step that way. Right, ladies and gentlemen. Does anyone think... No, forget it. Let's be serious. <laughs> uh, right, that's 10,000. When anyone says 10,000 people or 10,000 pounds, this is what 10,000 looks like. 10,000 likes. Now, who, <laughs> who actually thinks you could have 10,000 likes on you? Hands up. 
you sickos. <laughs> Shall we find out what this poor, unfortunate soul actually had? Do you want to know? Okay. When counted, this soldier, pretty soldier on the Western Front, had 10,428 likes. But in his shirt. They did not count the lice they found in his socks or his trousers or his underpants. <laughs> 10,428 lice in his shirt. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure you'll agree with me that that is indeed horrible history. A big round of applause for our <laughs> by Norman Knights in the Battle of Hastings in 1066. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, is what I'm going to be talking about today. Horrible histories have always had stories and facts and timelines and poems, but we've always had drawings as well, cartoons. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Um, not really so much how I draw, <coughs> more about how we all draw. Because um, that's sort of more interesting to me. Uh, and so we're going to do a bit of that. I'm going to investigate drawing. Uh, there may be some animals along the way. But I think I can make you a promise. At the end of this little talk, you are either going to be better at drawing 
or you're going to feel better about being rubbish at drawing. <laughs> One of the two. So, um, right, how, do, how does a drawing, how does any drawing, how does my drawing happen? Um, well, I'd like to know, honestly, who says they can't draw? Be honest. I mean, don't, don't be shy. Who, who kind of says, oh, I can't draw? Because at the moment, most of you can draw really well. All you guys can draw, you like can draw. So you people with your hands up, you say you can't draw, everyone else can draw. That's quite good. Down here in Cornwall, you're, you're heavy on the drawers. That's excellent. For you people who say you can't draw, is that like a, a, a physical uh, sort of thing you've got? I can't. When you can write your, you can write your name, you, you can you know spell and write your address. And, but when it comes to drawing, is is that what you mean? You can't physically draw, or do you mean you don't like what you draw? Hands up and can't physically draw. There's always one. <laughs> Hands up if you don't like what you draw. Okay. Is that because you think your drawing is bad? Yeah? That's interesting. Because we do other stuff badly. We sing badly in the car, in the shower. We play sport badly. I play squash badly. It doesn't, it doesn't I, you know, I still play. Because it's fun. You don't have to be good at something for it to be fun. We do all sorts of stuff badly. Bash out four chords on the guitar badly. Up and down the country on Thursday evenings, there's middle-aged men running up and down the court, not quite playing football. <laughs> and they love it. They'll go five-a-siding every single week, losing. <laughs> And they do it because it's fun. We do all sorts of stuff badly. But we do it anyway because it's fun. For some reason, if we don't draw like Rembrandt, we don't draw at all. It's very strange. It's very odd. Um, see, the thing is, you don't have to draw realistically to be able to draw. I mean, if, who thinks that to draw well, you need to be able to draw realistically? Be honest. Okay, that's good. Because most people, we'll put it, I'll put it a different way. If you saw a child's drawing, this is mostly for the grown-ups, if you saw a child's drawing, or you guys, if you saw one of your mates drawing and it looked really realistic, would you say that was a good drawing? Yeah, most people would. Well, that's just one element of it. You don't have to draw realistically to be able to draw. In fact, for most of human history, we haven't. What's that? It's a cave painting, but what of? Well, I'm not even sure if you can tell me if he's naked, but we'll just leave that. For Is that a realistic picture of an other man? I don't think anyone can actually. <laughs> it's all wrong. Now, here's the thing. We know 
Oops, we, go back. We know that these guys, or women, could paint realistically. We know because we've seen paintings on the walls of animals that are so realistic we can tell what species and what gender the animals are. When it mattered to them, they could draw things incredibly realistically. But they chose not to, because this is fine. And for 10,000 years, this was fine. They could draw realistically, but they just chose not to, because it wasn't a thing. What about these guys? Is that realistic? Well, it's possibly more realistic than the cave paintings, but I'm pretty sure that we can't actually do that. <laughs> now, for 3,000 years, this was fine. This was the state style of ancient Egypt. And it lasted right through, right through into the Ptolemaic uh, period when the Greeks took over. They still painted like this. They could paint realistically, because we've found examples of it, little sketches, but they chose to draw like this. The Greeks, they're famous for their realistic sculptures. But when it came to painting, they were much more interested in the style. This man has his chest on his back. <laughs> so we know they could do realism, but it just wasn't a big deal. It was fine for hundreds of years. Then the Dark Ages came along, and they weren't so bothered about realism at all. It was much more about the storytelling. Look at that guy's hands! <laughs> this man's elbows are there, this one's down there. But it didn't matter. Now you might say he was bad at drawing. I'm not sure if that applies. He, just, he probably could draw differently, but that was fine. Now he was happy to draw this way. Same with the Middle Ages. These people have no shoulders. <laughs> 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 but it doesn't matter, it's about the decoration, it's about the style, it's about the story they are telling. Then along comes the Renaissance and ruins everything! <laughs> and there was just a few subtle changes in taste and fashion. The art materials improved, the paints they were using were better, so you could actually paint things like velvet. It was easy to get a more opaque layer. And also with Renaissance there was an interest, a growing interest in rationalism and a, a love of all things ancient Greek and Roman. So they began to dig up those statues, those realistic statues. And that became the fashion. Painting realistically became just the latest thing. Now, with realism, you can paint velvet, you can paint lace, you can paint realistic portraits. So what happens? The rich people say, oh, I want you to show me in my lace and my velvet. So realism got reinforced over and over again by people paying for it. Started off as a fashion, it ends up like this. Now that is extraordinary. Every piece of silver lace, every pearl, every curl of the rough is being picked out with oil paint. It is beautiful. But it is an object in snobbery. Because if you've got this stuff, and this woman is stupidly rich, you don't get to wear that stuff unless you are godlike in wealth. So if you're going to be painted, you're going to be painted with your Rolls Royce parked out the front. 
So the people who could paint like this, they got the gigs. And it stayed like that. And for some reason, forever afterwards, we think to paint well, you have to paint like this. We're stuck in that. This is beautiful. There's no doubt about that. But there are other ways of painting. Thank God for Picasso! <laughs> because he paints more like we have always done than I think we give him credit for. So you don't have to draw realistically to be able to draw. Thank goodness, because I don't. <laughs> now here's the thing. If you want to draw realistically, you can learn how. It's not magic. It wasn't, I wasn't sort of blessed with some sort of special ability. Oh, look at that Martin Braille. He's got one of them drawing arms. <laughs> It wasn't like that. I just, when I was a little kid, I just doodled, and I drew, I drew, I drew. I didn't know it. I was practicing. It didn't feel like practice. My father never said, go and do your drawing practice. Because I was always drawing. I was drawing at the dinner table, watching television when I was supposed to be going to bed, supposed to be doing my homework at school. I was always drawing. So when it came to drawing, like no hats, birds, bird poos, um, I found that I could do it possibly a little quicker than the other people because I've been drawing forever. If you play football every day of your life, you're going to be better at it than the kid who doesn't. But beyond that, there are techniques. No one thinks you can pick up a trumpet and start playing instantly. You have to learn what to do with your fingers. Same with the guitar, same with the violin, same with the flute. You've got to learn the technique, otherwise no sound comes out. It's exactly the same with dance or singing or all sorts of things. You learn the technique and it's the same for drawing as well. Now, I can spend the rest of the time um, teaching a little bit of drawing technique. Now, if I was drawing a face, the first thing you do is just divide it up into four quarters, the centre line and a, a longitudinal centre line. As we all know, the eye is sort of midpoint, the nose runs the sort of halfway towards the chin, the mouth is just a little above halfway from the nose to the chin, the eyebrows are above the eyes, usually. <laughs> the ears generally run from about the height of the eye or the eyebrow to about the nose level. Hair on top, generally. Haircut of your choice. Now, if we were turning that head, the eye line stays in the same place. But think of this centre line is now facing this way. Now, what you can't see in this one is that there's a line running on the outside, just in front of the ear. A bit like a rugby ball. If you can imagine the four quarters of a rugby ball just slowly turning. So here's the other quarter coming into view. Everything else stays the same. The nose is still halfway down to the chin, the mouth is still there, the eyes are still on the centre line, the eyebrows are there. You're beginning not to be able to see that eye. The ear now is coming into view. Still in, on that same line of the nose. The hair is still on top. You can't see the other ear because it's behind it. Then finally, uh, the nose this paint is pointing all the way around. The head has turned through 90 degrees. So the eye is still there, the nose is still there, the mouth is still there, the ear is now here, 
Actually, that should be close to the front. And here's a front. Now, that is not <laughs> great drawing, but it's a tiny little bit of technique to show you that you can draw a face like that and you can turn it. Now, you can learn that. This is not rocket science. It takes no particular talent to learn how to do that. Just like playing guitar or flute or, or a trumpet or anything else. You can learn how to draw more realistically if you want to. If you want to draw a bowl of fruit that looks exactly like a bowl of fruit, you can learn how. But you don't. And I don't. And the thing is, I'm not alone. You don't have to draw realistically to be some of the greatest illustrators in the country. Who's heard of Axel Scheffler? He's the superstar behind the Gruffalo. What is that big brand thing? A lot of you don't know. <laughs> what is that big brown thing? Horse. Right, I can... Is it a realistic picture of a horse? No. Okay. What's the thing on its back? A rat. Do rats actually look like that? No. Are rats this big and carry swords? No. No. So is that not realistic? No. Oh. Is it a wonderful picture? Yes. Okay, so it's a wonderful picture and thank goodness rats don't actually look like that. Okay. What's that? A lion. A lion. Is that a realistic picture of a lion? No. It's not, really. Helen Stevens has drawn my favourite picture of a lion, I think. Isn't it the most... Liony thing you've ever seen, but it's also sweet and gentle and gorgeous. Um, it is stunning in its simplicity, in a way, and it screams lion, and yet it looks sort of nothing actually like a real lion. Would you agree with me that that is a fabulous picture? Yeah. It's just a few colours. It's gorgeous, and it doesn't look like the thing it's depicting. What's that. <laughs> it's a shark. I know it says shark, but if it didn't say shark, would you know what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Sharks have moustaches. <laughs> isn't it wonderful? Isn't it so full of energy? It's just bursting out of the bath. It's just wonderful. It's nothing like a shark. <laughs> what are they? <laughs> no, they're not. I've seen elephants and I'm pretty sure they have an eye either side of their head. <laughs> but isn't, isn't Nick Sharon an absolute genius? The way with just a few lines and two colours he can do something like this. This is one of my favourite pictures. He's done so much from Tracy Beaker and everywhere. But I just love that. It just makes you want to smile. They have their smiles on their chests, for goodness sake. <laughs> Now, these look nothing like elephants at all. But would you agree with me that it's one of the most brilliant pictures of an elephant you're ever likely to see? Now, Nick Sharp is one of the most successful illustrators in the country, if not the world. And his elephants don't look like elephants. You don't have to draw realistically to be able to draw. You know, you, you know, draw something difficult like an elephant. Oh, I'm terrible at drawing. Duh! 
Um, this is my new book, uh, It's a non-fiction book about real animals, and yet they're not realistic pictures. I'm fairly sure that these animals don't actually look like that. They certainly don't wave and speak to people. Uh, you don't have to draw realistically, even when you're doing non-fiction. Um, but since we've got to this point, uh, I might just digress a little bit from drawing and horrible histories to talk about this, since uh, I've raised this a bit. Uh, and to carry on the theme, what's that? Once again, it seems that only the children know. <laughs> Just to be sure, what's that? Oh, no, okay, okay, good, good, good. Panda! Excellent. And. Number! Hands up, who knows it's a number? Two people, three people. Isn't that pity? Isn't that one of the most stunning things you've ever seen? It's all meerkat this and meerkat that. This is much prettier than a meerkat. This is a, an anteater sort of uh, marsupial from Western Australia. There's only about a thousand of them less. There are far more pandas than there are numbats. But who gets all the press? Pandas. These guys are struggling. Pandas are okay. Never heard of this. This is a, an amazing creature. It's a, it is a marsupial. It doesn't have a pouch there. The poor little mites just have to hang on with their mouths. You know what that feels like. Uh, right, um, what's that? <laughs> it's a dolphin. Does anyone know what kind of dolphin it is? Orca. No. Has anyone heard of the southern right whale dolphin? You've heard of the Sunrise Mountain Dolphin? Well, once again, two people. I can see what's going to happen here. The more popular my book gets, this whole section is not going to work for a lot. Um, is that a stunning animal? How come we have never heard of it? That's prettier than a dolphin bottlenose, what's a thingy? And it's not even rare. They, they swim around the Southern Ocean in, in pods of about a thousand. Uh, it, it's, it's not remotely rare. It's, it's, it's quite common down there, and people have never heard of it. And when I saw this, I kind of, why haven't I been told about this? Why hasn't someone mentioned this extraordinary creature? This is one of the most beautiful animals on the planet, and it's foreign to us. What's that? Bison. No, it's not a bison. Not a buffalo. It's a gower. Who's heard of a gower? One person. It's bigger than a bison and bulkier than a buffalo. It's the biggest cowy thing on the planet. It can be three meters long and two meters high and weigh 1,000 kilograms. That is about the same as a classroom of 30 ten-year-olds. One animal. Its moo can be heard a mile away. This is a mighty beast, and yet no one's heard of it. 
That's what this animal book is about, Lesser Spotted Animals. It's about all those sorts of things that no one's ever heard of. When you pick up a children's non-fiction natural history book, it's full of lions, tigers, polar bears, and rightly so. They are wonderful things. But there are five or five and a half thousand different species of mammal out there, and we have only heard about 30 or 40 of them. And all these things have got stories to tell. So that's where lesser spotted animals comes in. All these animals have got wonderful stories to tell. And it's not just for their stories. What's that? If I said the koala was going extinct, would that be a pity? Can you imagine a world without koalas? If someone said, will you join the Save the Koala campaign, would you? Because we wouldn't want to live in a world without koalas, would we? Imagine, no more of these guys anywhere in the planet. So you want, you'd give money, you'd sign a petition, save the koala. Now they, they are getting a little bit endangered because the pockets where they live are shrinking. And so those little pockets don't join up anymore. So if one pocket of animals gets sick, they tend to die out and that pocket is gone. And so the places that they live shrink. But there's still many, many thousands of them. Tens and tens of thousands. But it's not a given that they're going to last forever. So imagine what this world would be like without them. What about the illy piker? Would you give money to save the illy piker? Well, the illy piker, that's a, it's a little animal that lives in, in China, way up in the mountains. And the thing is with global warming is the, the coldest part of those mountains is retreating upwards. And eventually they're going to run out of mountain. And that's happening now. They were only discovered in 1982. And in that time, from then to now, the area where they live has halved. But hands up who's heard of an illy piker. Two people, three people, which is a real pity because that's quite cute too. So we really worry. If the koala wasn't there, but how can we save the Illy Piker if we don't even know it exists? So that's what my book is about. It's not just about telling those stories, it's by saying, hey guys, look, these things could be gone. So it's that little step. Just learning about them is that first step to thinking it would be a pity if they weren't there. Uh, and so there's lots of those sorts of little stories in the book. Uh, this one's uh, a black-footed ferret. Now the black-footed ferret really, really was very nearly gone. Uh, in fact, in the 1980s, in the 1970s and 80s, they thought it was extinct. But, you know, they were gone. They used to be all over the prairies, but then with the introduction of cattle, the prairie dogs that they lived in, they were a nuisance, so they gassed all the prairie dogs. And of course, the things that fed on the prairie dogs they died out as well. Then one day in 1982, a uh, farm dog called Shep brought an animal back and dropped it at his owner's feet. And the owner said, I've never seen one of them before. And he took it to the local taxidermist. Now luckily the local taxidermist knew his animals and he said, you know that, that kind of looks like a black-footed ferret, but it can't because they're extinct. He sent it away to the Smithsonian Institution, and they went back and said, it's a black-footed ferret! 
So they all came screaming down to the town of Mitsitsi in Wyoming, and they started looking for all the black-footed ferrets, and they found one colony of about 200 animals. But no sooner had they found them that that colony had an outbreak of a sort of a canine distemper disease, similar to what our dogs get. And all of a sudden, that colony, the last one on Earth, was threatened. So they took 18 animals away and isolated them just in time, because the rest of the colony died off. So there are 18 animals, black-footed ferrets, left in the world, seven females. But captive breeding, very carefully, they built up their numbers to such an extent that they could now release them back into the wild, which they started doing in the late 1990s. Now there's about 1,000, 1,500 black-footed ferrets back out in the prairies. But it was that close. And it is a gorgeous, gorgeous little creature. But this book isn't just about the endangered. Um, I should read to you a little bit about one. Uh, because it's not, you know, some animals are really, really common. So I'll just, I'll just give you the tone of the book. Let's face it, apart from the fact that this is one of those animals that no one's ever heard of, the main reason that this bat is in this book is because of its name, the dagger-toothed flower bat. What a great combination of words, flowers and teeth and bats and daggers. It conjures, up, it conjures up an image that would make a fine tattoo for some biker gang tough guy, or a blazer badge for a vampire school. Trouble is, dagger-toothed flower bats are fairly gentle creatures, not at all violent or bloody. They're just plain little brown things. And rather than having a taste for danger, they have a taste for the th sweeter things. They flap and flit from flower to flower in the warm tropical evening, sipping at the honey-like nectar they find in each beautiful blossom. Hardly the stuff of muscled heavies or nibbled nets at midnight. In fact, all that flower visiting is truly beneficial. As they move about the trees, they spread the pollen that sticks to their faces. Without this pollination, some fruit trees would be fruitless. So here's to the dagger-toothed flower bat, peaceful pollinator and banana hero. Uh, and here, you probably can't see, I have drawn him as a banana batman. <laughs> and you see, that's... Now, I could have used photographs for this book. I and mean, these are all real animals. I could easily have used actual photographs, like of the Billy Piper. But I wanted to do the whole book in drawings, because with drawings, you can do this. You can have a bat dressed as a man dressed as a bat. <laughs> with a drawing, you don't have to be realistic. You can draw a bowl of fruit that looks like a bowl of fruit if you want to, but you can also draw a bat dressed as a man dressed as a bat. That's what you can do with drawings. You can have highway rats, you can have sharks in baths. You can have giraffes that dance. Has anyone got this? Ducks can be farmers. Anyone got this? And wonderfully, joyously, 
tigers can come to tea. You can't do that with a realistic picture. Tigers don't do this. But with children's book illustration, with non-original, non-realistic illustration, you can do this. Tigers can come to tea. Illustrating drawing is about having fun. It's about life and love and joy. You can draw a bowl of fruit that looks like a bowl of fruit if you want to, but you don't have to. You can have fun instead. So, um, with the time we have left, we've got about 15 minutes or so, um, shall we do some fun drawing? Yeah. See, what we could do is, uh, I could do a bit more of this, a, bit, a few more techniques, oh, that guy was really, really Okay, um, but we could do a bit more technique. So, you know, I, you know, a few pointers on how to draw horses, for example or uh, a few other techniques. Or we could just muck around and have some fun. So hands up for a bit of drawing technique. That would be <laughs> two. Uh, hands up for mucking around having some fun. Yay! If we have time at the end, I'll squeeze in a bit of horse drawing. Um, right. Now, uh, you uh, said earlier, some of you said that you, you can't draw. Well, luckily, this is the sort of drawing you can do if you can't draw, which is great. Uh, I can draw, so now I'm going to show off and draw uh, four, no, three uh, perfect circles freehand, uh, because I can. No, they went wonky, it went flat at the top. No, 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 no. Uh, and then we're wrong right from the start. <laughs> okay, that's what we'll get to showing off. That's the table! Okay. Even if you can't draw a circle, you can still draw. Um, and what's more, you're going to help me. Uh, I'm going to draw some faces, but I'm going to need some suggestions for what sort of nose, for example, this person can have. What's a yes, sir? A really fat. <laughs> uh, this egghead person here? Yes, miss. No? Yep, okay. Um, one that is just in a straight line. One that's just a straight line. <laughs> okay. Keep it simple. Uh, potato head here. Yes, miss. A spotty nose. Any particular shaped nose? A normal nose with spots? I'll just do a, a what? A triangle. Oh, I see. So like, like that. Okay. Uh, oh, hair. We need some hair here. Here, hair. Yes, yes. Spiky hair. Here we go. Uh, what about this chap? Nine nose person. Yes. Yeah. Uh, a Mohican. Excellent. Excellent. And triangle nose potato thing. So it looks like a. Uh, yes, sir. Afro. Little afro, big afro? Big afro. Big afro. 
Right. Um, what do we need? We need ears. Ears. We need some ears. 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 Yes, yes. Really big fat ears. <laughs> fat ears. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, do they look fat? <clears throat> fat ears. Ish. Or is your handles? One of the two. Um, this chap here. Yes, yes. Um, it could be tiny ears, just one dot. Just, just tiny ears, just yeah, one just, dot. Like, one dot for each ear. Fine. Strange, but fine. Uh, ears for. It looks like one of those crisps. What are they called? Um, yes, yes. Elephant ears. <laughs> <laughs> elephant ears are going to struggle a bit with the hair. Want 
to draw something uh, and you're not entirely sure what it looks like, uh, you can look at pictures of the thing you want to draw. If you want to draw a Ferrari that looks like a Ferrari, not like a Ford Mondeo, look at a picture of a Ferrari because it really helps. If you want to draw a horse, look at pictures of horses because it's hard to remember exactly what a horse looks like just by trying to remember it. If you've got a picture in front of you, it's not cheating, you're just reminding yourself exactly what a horse looks like when you want to draw a horse. Dog's bottoms, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm going to wing it if it's all right. <laughs> now that might be a little bit cat bottom, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> this poor chap here. Who haven't we had? Yes, miss. Small mouth. Brilliant. Ah, oh, it's well. Um, and <laughs> uh, right. And who haven't we had? Right at the back, pink person. Actually, you're from the same weird family. <laughs> Sorry. Rotten teeth. Oh, you're so cool. This is, um, now this action, this is drawing. Don't let anyone say that this isn't drawing. This is drawing. You can learn how to draw a ball of fruit that looks like a ball of fruit if you want to, but you can also have fun. You can sing badly and still have fun. You can dance badly. I dance badly. Usually when my daughters aren't looking, but that's not guaranteed. Um, if there's a wedding and there's live music, you want to dance. It doesn't matter if you're rubbish, it's fun. Same with drawing, you don't have to be brilliant at drawing to be able to draw, clearly. <laughs> but, nonetheless, this has got a fancy title. What you have done is character design. You have just designed three characters. Second because as they are, you have designed three characters. Now you can do this in Hollywood. I'm not joking here at all. Who has ever seen an animated movie? 
Some of you have never seen an animated movie. That's amazing. Right, now think of this. Every single character you have ever seen on screen, even the old ones, the new ones, the computer animated ones, every single character did not spring into life in some computer-generated algorithm. No one drew it into the machine. It had to be invented first. Someone invented the characters in Toy Story. Someone sat down with a piece of paper and a pencil and drew them first. Someone has the amazing job of inventing characters, of designing characters for those movies. They don't just pop onto a computer screen. And even if they were drawn directly onto a computer screen, the process is the same. You have to sit down and invent them. You draw them with a pencil. That's how Wally started life. He didn't just pop onto the movie screen. Someone had to draw him. That's what you've done. You've drawn characters. Once you've drawn those characters, then you can bring them to life. Uh, what's that? Happy? Sad? What's that? It's easier to do that, I suppose. Uh, what's... Yeah. And what about this one? This one's really tricky. Pay attention. Surprise! Two circles and three dots. And you know what this person is thinking. It is extraordinary. So you can invent your characters. Then you can bring them to life. That's what drawing can be. If you can start off with people, you can do people, but then again you can also do So you can do animals, you can do people. Now I suppose um, I started with um, horrible history, so I guess I should uh, finish with horrible histories. Um, because once you've drawn these animals in, uh, people and animals, you bring them to life, you can dress them in whatever you want to create the sort of era that you want to do. So, if I was doing a ruff like that lady in the painting was wearing, like the Tudors wore. So, here you have a Tudor punk. <laughs> And because it's horrible histories, of course, it would be more likely to be like this. What's that? A head on a stick. <laughs> because animals might be lesser spotted, but history is usually horrible. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very, very much.